If we're meeting today for the first time, my name is Jared. Uh, they've let me hang around here for the last several years, and uh, I keep coming back. So uh, my privilege today as one of the pastors to get to continue in our series about adventures with God, and we're talking about prayer today. I'd love to give you three stories. The first one is when Jesus was asked by his followers, would you teach us to pray? Because he kept sneaking off from them. You know how it worked. And uh, they wondered what he was doing, and he said, sure. The second story happened about 1,500 years later. A guy named Martin Luther that none of us have ever met, but we hear stories about, uh, was asked by his lifelong friend and barber named Peter, uh, Martin, would you teach me how to pray? And he had a few thoughts for him. And the third story is a story that Jesus told about a king and one of his servants and how the servant was absolutely impossibly indebted to him. When Jesus was asked by his disciples, would you teach us to pray? He said, sure. And he provided for them what we often call the Lord's Prayer. And some of you at some point in your life probably have memorized that. And there's two different places that we find it, one in Luke and one in Matthew. Today, we're going to take a look at the account in Matthew. But I mentioned Martin Luther. In 1535, his friend uh, Peter, the barber, asked him, Martin, why don't you tell me how you pray? I'd like to have a simple way to pray. And Luther responded by writing a booklet called A Simple Way to Pray, subtitled How One Should Pray for Peter, the Master Barber. And he inscribed it with this. Dear Master Peter, I will tell you as best I can what I do personally when I pray. May our dear Lord grant you and everybody else to do it better than I. Amen. Don't you love that? Have you ever been around some people that, whether they intended or not, caused you to feel like a pretty lousy, dumb prayer? I mean, I've been there. You know, they spit and they shake and maybe they have amazing words I've never heard of and they can go on and on and on. And I'm just kind of go, man, my prayers don't sound like that. I just love it that this guy named Martin Luther that apparently understood a few things about prayer. By the way, he's the guy that on one very busy day, his friend asked him, so Martin, what are you going to do today? And Martin Luther responded by saying, I am so unbelievably busy today. I think I'm going to have to pray two hours instead of my usual one. He understood some things about prayer. Don't you love the non-religious answer he gave? Well, I'll tell you what I do but I hope that you and everybody else is, does it better than I do. I just love the freshness of that. Not surprisingly, Martin Luther told his friend Peter, the master barber, to pray just the way Jesus had taught his disciples to pray. Well, this is what he said to Peter. He said, you know, I start out by praying the Lord's Prayer. I just recite it from start to finish, and then I go back phrase by phrase and he says, I just engage in those prayers. And there's five petitions, but he says, sometimes I get lost in so many ideas in one petition that I forget about praying the other five. And he says, that's perfectly fine. Because if such an abundance of good thoughts come to us, we ought to discard the other positions, petitions. Forget about them. We can do that tomorrow. And make room for these thoughts. And then listen in silence. And under no circumstances obstruct them because the Holy Spirit himself preaches here. And one word from the Holy Spirit 
is better than 10,000 of our prayers. I love that. So today we're all going to be like Master Barber Peter, and we're going to learn a simple way to pray. We're going to pray through the Lord's Prayer, and then we're going to pray through it one phrase at a time. Here's the big idea. Jesus gave us a model to pray so we can pray it thoughtfully every day. Let's begin by saying it together. Let's read. You have the words as well, boldly and out loud from Matthew chapter 6, <coughs> beginning with verse 5. I may need some water. Let's pray together. And when you pray, oops, let's do it together. That means that I'll be where you are. Ready, set, go. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as also we have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And some of you that grew up in more high liturgy churches almost went on with the rest of it. You find that in Luke. We'll stick with Matthew today. How's that? Let's take a look at this, and it begins with adoration. Our Father in heaven. Our Father. Those two words were absolutely revolutionary. In fact, they could have been so shocking for Jesus' followers that a couple of them just got stuck here. Astounded. Jesus starting with our Father we're not hit with that impact. We're very familiar of praying that way. But for Old Testament Jewish believers, they would have never presumed to approach God and call him Father. In fact, most of their experience with God was through sacrifice and or through mediators and others who prayed for them. And when they prayed, they ascribed names to God that were majestic and holy and huge Words that multiplied titles about his greatness. For example, in 1 Kings 8, Solomon prays this prayer. Lord, the God of Israel, there is no God like you in heaven. There is no God like you in earth and who keeps his covenant of love. Or Nehemiah, Nehemiah 9.32 says, And therefore our God the great God, mighty God, awesome God, covenant-keeping God. That's what the Old Testament was filled of. Now, they knew of the analogy that God was like a father and that we were like his children, but they would have never approached God as our father. If you were to meet the president of the United States and you were to greet him, what would you say? You would call him Mr. President, <clears throat> today if he's in the White House and he's there with friends and advisors, <clears throat> as familiar as they may be with him, they will address him as Mr. President. But that was not so a few years ago when John F. Kennedy was president. His young kids, Caroline and John Jr., had run of the White House. <clears throat> and we're told that there would be times in the Oval Office where all the People would be there and they would be saying, Mr. President this and Mr. President that. John Jr. would come bursting through the door. Everybody called him Mr. President, but not John Jr. He called him Dad. 
In the Old Testament, everybody called God Mr. President. And Jesus came and says to his disciples, I'll teach you how to pray. You can call him Dad. In fact, Jesus uses the Aramaic word, which is what he would have grown up as a boy speaking, Abba, Father. And Jesus, by spirit, later teaches us in Galatians chapter 4 that that's how we're to pray. He says, because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into your hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. Wow. And so when we pray, we come to a loving Father who knows our needs and wants to give us good things beyond our wildest imagination. Jesus made this clear. Many of you are parents. And it's almost universally true that parents want to give good things to their kids. I know that I sure do. And Jesus made it clear that our Father wants to give good things to his children as well. And if you take the best parent in the world and multiply their love by infinity, you begin to understand some of God's love towards you, his children, his Father, heart of love. And so we start here with our Father. You can get lost in those two words. Notice that it's our Father, not my Father. Jesus showed us in this prayer that we're a part of a family and we're not alone in our praying or in our living. We do this thing of Christianity best together. Luther wrote to Peter the barber saying this, I quote, Never think that you are kneeling or standing alone. Rather that the whole of Christendom, all devout Christians are standing there beside you and you're standing among them in a common, united petition that God hears, end quote. Our Father. You might also note in the prayer that there's no I or me or my. It's always praying for one another. Our Father, give us today our daily bread. Others are always included in our request. So we start with our Father. And I think we say it with love and affection and with appreciation. I'm going to ask you all to pray out loud, boldly with me, will you? As we pray together, our Father in heaven, Father, we love you. We are so grateful that you have adopted us and called us your children. We're so thankful that you are our great God and our loving Father. Lord, I want to do good things for my kids. How much more you want to do good things for us. You are the perfect Father who loves, cares, provides, and guides his children. So we come to you with confidence that we can present our requests to you, Father, and trust you to sort them out and do what is best for us. Thank you, Father. And after addressing God as Father, Jesus tells us that there's five things that we're to request, and he divides them into two parts. The first one, God's concerns, and the second part, our interests and needs. First, God's concerns. 
your name, your kingdom, and your will. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Many scholars think that this is a qualifying phrase, the on earth as it is in heaven, and it means this now applies to all of these following three requests. So I'll briefly explain each of them, and then we'll follow each with a prayer that we'll pray out loud together. The first is, hallowed be your name. You've been around little kids. They're learning how to speak. They're kind of struggling with language. They think they have it nailed down, but sometimes they mix some words up. He was about four years old, and he prayed, Our Father in heaven, how'd you know my name? (laughs) I like that. I think he was right on track, don't you? He kind of missed this particular point. But the personal nature of God, he had to nail down. The word hallowed means to make and keep holy and special. May your name be kept holy, we pray. May your name be honored. In biblical times, just like now, a person's name was her identity, and it reflected her character as well. So when we pray, God, may your name be kept holy and pure and majestic, we're actually saying, may the whole world know you and give you the honor and the respect that you are due. May God be reverenced and worshiped and honored and glorified. May his name be known through the world. May his reputation and his glory be represented well. May God be respected. My friend Stan was in a car with several other guys. One of them started saying bad things about me. And Stan stopped him and said, I know Jared. He's my friend. I know that he's not kind of the person that you're representing him to be. And when you're with me, I won't let you speak that way about him. How many of you would like to have a friend like Sam? Yeah. I think that captures the heart of how Jesus taught us to pray about our Father. Let his reputation be so well represented in the way that we live and the way we express ourselves to others that his name would be honored I know Jesus, I have a passion for him, and I know that he knows and loves me, and I know and love him, and I am praying, Father, hallowed be your name. And so let's pray it out loud together. The first one you did was fine. It was a nice warm-up, this time with a little more boldness and gusto all together. Hallowed be your name on earth as it is in heaven. There, everyone worships and honors you all the time. Let it happen here. Let your name be honored both in us and throughout the whole world. Father, let it begin with me. Help me live my life in such a way that it brings honor to you. Help me honor you, not only with my lips, but also with my life. And what I pray for me, I pray for us. Let our lights so shine that others will see our good deeds and give praise to you, our Father in heaven. It's all about you, not us. Give us a passion for your honor, your glory. Help us be more concerned about your reputation than our pleasure. 
May you be honored and respected and loved here in our church, but also in our community. Use us to spread your love, your light, your good news across our community and around the world so that you would be honored everywhere. Lord, for those who don't honor you, we pray that they would, you would soften their hearts and open their eyes to see your goodness, turn their hearts towards you so that they can join us in honoring and praising you. Hallowed be your name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. And just a word about the word, Amen. Most of us often use that at the end of the prayer, and probably often without a lot of thought. This afternoon, when we have some lunch in our home, one of us will probably say amen, and that lets everybody else know that I'm done praying and it's time for them to eat. It's a very handy word. But it's a very powerful word. In fact, it means let it be, let it happen. That's right, right on. I agree with that. And Luther wrote to his barber, Peter, quote, mark this, that you must always speak the amen firmly. Never doubt that God in his mercy will surely hear you and say yes to your prayers. Do not leave your prayer without having said, or at least thought, yes, very well. God has heard my prayer. I know this as a certainty and a truth. End of quote. That's what amen means. So let's try it again firmly. Everyone said amen. amen. Oh, you are so good. The second request about God is your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Calling for the kingdom of God in this way, many scholars believe that this is a literary form of Hebrew parallelism where you have a first phrase that, if true, requires that the second phrase be true. So we'll treat these two together. Your kingdom come. The rulership and the reigning of God requires that his will be done. You cannot have a ruling king without his will being done. So God, your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And when we pray, your kingdom come, we are, of course, asking Jesus to return, that he would come and bring the fullness of the restored kingdom of heaven to reign on earth. But we're also praying for right now. God, let more of your life rule in me and in us and your will to be done in earth. So it's both now and then. Let God's reign grow now on earth, and may you come soon and bring your kingdom fully. And so we pray that life on earth would more closely resemble the perfection of life in heaven, and that God's will will be done more fully now on earth. When I pray this, I like to pray it for myself and my family and our church and our community in our world. And as we pray this prayer together, that's from my point of view, I think you'll find yourself in most of it as well. Would you pray boldly with me together? Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. 
Father, let your kingdom come and your will be done in my life. Show me what you want me to do. And when you show me, give me the will and power to do it. I pray this for my family as well. Let each of my kids and grandkids do your will and live under your gracious reign. I pray this for my friends who are sick. May your will be done in their lives on earth as it is in heaven. Heal them, please. I pray this for our church, that you may reign in our church, and may your will be done here when we meet, and may your will be done by us when we leave. Let every one of us live under your reign all week long and do your will wherever we are each day. We pray this for our community. May your kingdom come and your will be done here in Washington County as it is in heaven. May the gospel grow and advance and bring many to Christ. May churches grow and be healthy. May the sick be healed, the hungry fed, the poor helped, the oppressed freed. Father, free those who are addicted. Comfort those who are lonely. Set them in families and provide a loving and safe family for every child. Let our schools and our young people flourish, raise our high school graduation rates, bless our economy so everyone has meaningful and profitable work. Let your kingdom come and your will be done in our communities. We pray this for our world. There's so much brokenness in our world. One day, every harm will be undone, every injustice made right. Let it begin to happen now. Let your kingdom come and your will be done all across all our world. Let every Christian in every nation become a doer of God's word. We pray for missionaries who carry the gospel across cultural and language divides. Empower and use them to bring the good news of Christ's kingdom everywhere. We pray for Christian relief agencies like World Vision and Compassion International that are alleviating poverty in Jesus' name around the world. Bless and multiply their efforts so that the gospel advances and the poor are helped. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Amen. Yeah. So we start by praying for God's concerns. His name his kingdom, and his will. And this is good for me because I know you don't know this about me, but I'm my own selfish pig. Yeah. And when I'm just left to my own defaults, I tend to start with me. Hello, God. Glad you showed up today. I got a few things I'd like for you to fix. But when I pray the Lord's Prayer, it reorients me to the priority that's right. It's God first. And after addressing his concerns, it's time for us now to invite him to come and address our needs. Our needs to give us, forgive us, and to lead and deliver us. The first is give us today our daily bread. When Luther wrote to Peter the barber, he said, you know, bread represents all that we need in the physical realm. It's food and drink and good health and 
favorable weather and a roof over our heads and good jobs and good government and so on. So this then is a prayer for the daily necessities of our life. And it's a reminder of our humble dependence upon God for everything, that we're to live each day, a day at a time, trusting God to care for us. And you notice that it's not a me prayer, it's a we prayer. Give us our daily bread. I'm not being harsh toward you. I'm looking at myself, but I am noticing others of us in the room. And isn't it true that for most of us in how we're living life, we probably don't need more bread daily. Some of us could use probably a little bit less. And this is why it's so important for this to be the us prayer, because we're including others in our church and community and in God's big world that have less than they need, and maybe nothing at all. And so, let's pray together boldly. Give us today our daily bread. Lord, you know what we need. You know our daily necessities. Please provide for us, Lord. I have everything I need and more. For this, I humbly thank you. So I pray today for those in our church who don't have what they need. I pray for those who need money or basic necessities like food and shelter and heat. Provide what they need. Provide jobs for the unemployed and better jobs for the underemployed. I pray these same things for the needy in our community. Help us feed the hungry, clothe the naked, and shelter the homeless. I pray that no child would go to bed hungry in our town. I pray for all the single parents struggling to provide for their kids. Bless them with everything they need. And bless us so that we can bless others. Bless our businesses so that we can provide jobs for those who have none. You said that if we have two coats, we should share with those who have none. Help us share our abundance with those in need right here in our own church and community. And we pray this prayer for daily bread for the poor and needy around the world. Help us eliminate extreme poverty and eradicate the senseless diseases that kill 25,000 kids a day. Provide sustainable food sources for the hungry, clean water for the thirsty, medical care for the sick, and education and training to lift people out of poverty and make their lives better. Father, Let what breaks your heart break ours. Give us, our church, our community, and our world, our daily bread. Amen. And then, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Some translations say, forgive us our trespasses. I think she was about four years old. She had the right idea, but she struggled with the big word trespass when she prayed. And forgive us our trash baskets as we forgive those who put trash trash into our baskets. Yeah. If any of you had someone put trash in your baskets this week, yeah, it may not only have been recyclable trash right there. We understand this thing. She had the idea. It's our prayer for forgiveness. The first prayer is physical. Give us our daily bread. The second prayer is spiritual for forgiveness of our sins and extending that.
to others. The debt, the word that Jesus uses is debt, which is often used in Scripture for sins. It's where Jesus told this story of a king and his subject. The subject was horribly in debt, like 10 million times more his annual salary in debt. And he came to the king and he said, have mercy on me. Give me a payment schedule here. Trust me, I'll work hard and I'll pay it off. But of course, that was entirely impossible. To everyone's amazement, the king forgave the entire debt and set the subject to go away free. But on the way home, the man met one of his friends who owed him about ah, four months wages, not much at all. We would expect that the guy would be in a rather forgiving mood, but he was not. And he was angry at his friend who hadn't paid him the small amount, and he had him arrested and thrown into prison. When the king heard that story, he called for the subject to be brought back, and he reinstated the date, debt, had him arrested and put in prison. And here's the punchline of Jesus' story that's recorded in Matthew 18, verse 35. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. Hmm. It's the same idea here. You've been forgiven everything, so now forgive others. Forgive us our debts. We're asking God to forgive us of our sins entirely, a debt that we could never repay as we extend forgiveness toward others. So it's a prayer of confession of sin, and it's a prayer of forgiveness toward those who have wronged us. And Jesus makes it clear that you can't have one side of the prayer without the other side of the prayer. It only works together. God, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. We can't ask for and receive forgiveness without extending forgiveness toward others as well. So let's do that loudly and boldly together as we pray. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Lord, I confess my sins to you. Forgive me and help me be more selfless. I confess that I often care far more about what others think of me than what you think. Forgive me. I can be greedy and constantly want more when I already have more than I need. Forgive me. Forgive us, Lord. Forgive us as a church for being complacent about our friends and family who are lost and far from God. Forgive us for sometimes losing the plot and getting sidetracked by trivial concerns and not doing what you called us to do. Help us keep the main thing, the main thing. Forgive us for not loving you with all of our heart and soul and mind and strength. Forgive us for not loving each other as we should and for not loving others, have mercy on us and forgive us. And we forgive those who have sinned against us. We forgive our spouses and our kids and our neighbors and our coworkers. We forgive our friends and our enemies. We forgive those who have annoyed or irritated or frustrated us. We let it all go. We won't hold them in judgment or speak against them. We forgive them now just as you have forgiven us. 
and help us to spread this forgiveness everywhere we go. Let our church be a beacon of forgiveness and let us spread it across our community and around the world so everyone can know the joy of being fully and freely forgiven. Amen. And so we come to the last prayer. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Here's a great prayer. Some of you have heard this. Some of you have prayed this. It goes like this. Lord, so far today, I'm doing all right. I've not gossiped, lost my temper, been greedy, nasty, grumpy, or selfish. I have not whined, complained, cursed, or eaten any chocolate. So far, I'm making Dave Ramsey happy and haven't charged anything to my credit card. But I'll be getting out of bed in a minute. And then I think I may really need your help. (laughs) You know, I really don't care when you pray during the day or night, but I have found for myself that the sooner it is after I get out of bed, probably the better, and especially for this one. Do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Now, that's kind of funny. Some people would ask, Why would we ask God not to lead us into temptation? He wouldn't lead us into temptation, would he? No, of course not. Think about it this way. God, lead us away from temptation. And when temptation steps in my path, give me the power to overcome its evil and the evil one. I like how the message translated. It says this. Keep us safe from ourselves and the devil. I like that. So in our three requests for ourselves, the first request is spiritual. Give us our daily bread. The second request is, excuse me, it's physical. The second request is spiritual. Forgive us our debts. And the third request is moral. Keep us from temptation and deliver us from the evil one. This reminds us in the Lord's Prayer that we're absolutely dependent upon God for everything, physical, spiritual, and moral, and that he wants us to pray about anything in our lives, and we should bring everything to him. Now, when you pray this, I'm going to encourage you to be very specific about your temptations. Go ahead and put, put the lousy and nasty labels on them that really define what's there. But I'm going to let myself and you off the hook this morning. I'm not going to list all of our sins and temptations in the prayer. But this week, as you pray the Lord's Prayer, and on the handout, the little card that you received to put on your carabiner of Adventures with God, there are several things that you can do this week that suggest how to pray personally and with others, the Lord's Prayer. I encourage you to join me in your own devotional time of just kind of setting aside your other regular practices of prayer, if you have those, and pray through the Lord's Prayer in this way. And as you pray at this point, be very specific about the stuff you struggle with, because guess what? He already knows about that. He does not need to say to you, God, listen quietly. I have a secret to tell you. He's already up on this. And his power is released when we pray. Oh, deliver me from the evil one. 
Would you pray out loud with me boldly this last prayer? Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Father, keep us safe from ourselves and the devil. You know the particular temptations that each of us face. Make us aware of those and give us the strength to resist temptation, to say no to sin so we can say yes to you. Empower us by your spirit so that we live new and different lives. Fill us with the spirit so that we'll be full of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. You know our weaknesses. Keep us filled with you so that we don't become complacent or lazy and cave in when we should be standing strong. Give each of us friends who will stand with us so none of us stand alone. Keep us safe from ourselves and the devil. And even more, fill us so full of you that we'll be dangerous to the devil. Amen. Yeah. Three stories. Jesus' response when he was asked by his followers, Lord, would you teach us to pray? And he said, sure. When you pray, pray this way. 1,500 years later, when a barber asked his friend, Martin, would you teach me a simple way to pray? Martin said, let me write you a booklet. Let me tell you how I do it. I, I pray the Lord's Prayer. And then I go back phrase by phrase, and I just enjoy each phrase. And sometimes I make it all the way through. Sometimes I get stuck in one spot. That's great to get stuck there. I don't worry about the rest of the prayer of that day. I just then get silent and listen. Because if God's Spirit speaks to me even one word, that's going to be more powerful than my next 10,000 prayers. And a story Jesus told about a king and a subject, a story that he told about every one of our lives. We owed a debt of sin to God that we could never repay. And he came to us through his son, Jesus Christ, and he said, I'll tell you what, you don't even have to earn back 20%, not even 10%, not even 1%. I don't want you to try to earn your way back into my favor at all. I want you to accept the gift of absolute forgiveness in my son, Jesus Christ. And Paul writes in Galatians, because we are his sons and daughters, we have received the very spirit of his son, the spirit that cries from within us, Abba, Father, would you pray with me the way Jesus taught us to pray as we conclude. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. Amen. Well, I feel like I should close my eyes and pray. But wouldn't that be the funniest religious convention at this point? I think we've had a prayer meeting right here at Evergreen, right here on July the 20th. I think so, and you've done good. <laughs> 
I do think while I've been talking and we've been praying and you've been thinking that the Holy Spirit's been speaking, we'd love to hear some of the things that God did in you in the last 30 minutes and said to you, you can use the connection card there in the seat pocket in front of you. Just take a moment right now, quickly jot that out, drop it in the offering. In a moment, ushers are going to come. We're going to receive gifts of tithes and offerings. We'd love to receive those cards from our guests today so that we can get to know you a little and from others to hear what God has done. One of the things that God did for some of you today is he saved your eternal soul from hell. That's one of the things he's done today. It does not get better than that. You just became God's child. You, for the first time in your life, did what God tells us in the Bible to do. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and he's righteous to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And because you prayed your prayer of confession today, you are receiving right now God's Spirit to come live in your heart. And it's the Holy Spirit that will help you be a Christ follower from now and throughout all of eternity. And it's the Spirit that's going to help you this week cry out, Abba, Father. Isn't he good? Let's applaud him right now for his goodness. He is good.